This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, everyone. Tom Oates here, and we're focusing again on family group decision-making. Now, in this episode, we're going to look at how experienced and trained peers are helping families in New York City going through family group decision-making. In August of 2015, the city's Administration for Children's Services was awarded a Children's Bureau grant to create what's called the Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative, EFCI. It's a three-year grant implementing family group decision-making within about eight neighborhoods in the Bronx. Now, using parent advocators or parent partners is not entirely new to child welfare practice. In fact, ACS has been using peers, called parent advocates, since late 2013 to work with families engaged with child protective services teams during an initial child safety conference. But here's the major difference with EFCI. Parent advocates aren't just there at the initial conference. They stick with the families and form deeper, more supportive relationships during that family's entire engagement with the child welfare system. Now, the parent advocates are actually part of a contract ACS has with the Center for Human Development and Family Services. Now, there's a lot to pull apart here, from the ACS side diving into the implementation and measuring all the impacts of EFCI, to the parent advocates themselves discussing the dance that they have to navigate in tandem with CPS to work with the client families, and how they straddle the lines between emotional support and giving the families, as you'll hear, a reality check. So we got everyone on the phone to talk about it. You'll hear from Michael Ashram, the EFCI project director, and Jessica Rothschild, the executive director of strategy, innovation, and planning for ACS's Division of Policy Planning and Measurement, along with three EFCI parent advocates, Belinda Contreras, Michelle Chapman, and Elliot Williams. We start everything off with Michael Ashram and Jessica Rothschild. So, Michael and Jesse, take us all the way back to the beginning here. Take us to August 2015 and talk to me about the creation of and how the Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative has gotten off the ground. Okay. So, it was in December of 2013 that the larger citywide parent advocate initiative went live, and we operationalized a commitment to make a parent advocate available to every parent in, in every child safety conference citywide. Based on some of the early success of that initiative, we, uh, we, we applied to, to ACF for, for the Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative, and we were awarded that grant in August of 2015. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and I think, you know, we, we were working with our research partners on family group decision-making, and we saw this as a real opportunity to take a process that is essentially already mirrored in our child safety conferences and really add this enhanced component that provides a level of support that families have, we haven't been able um, financially to offer to families. So um, this this funding has made it possible for us to support families in a new way. 
And of course, family group decision-making is being deployed across the nation in a lot of different ways. Um, So you guys now have mentioned twice right there, child safety conferences. Explain to me a little bit about what those are and and why those are so unique. Sure. So in the mid-2000s, ACS adopted a model of practice called Improved Outcomes for Children, IOC for short, which is grounded in family team conferencing and family group decision-making at different points in in the life of a case. The first of these conferences, and possibly the the most crucial, is is the initial child safety conference. And that's a conference that's convened at a point in time when there's an active child protective investigation and where concerns about child safety have risen to the level where we're contemplating court action, uh, including possibly removal of a child from their family. And before, with, um, with the inception of, of initial child safety conferencing, in most cases, we have that conversation with the family prior to court. We, we invite the family into to the borough office and lay out, you know, these are our safety concerns. This is, um, this is why, you know, this is why we feel like uh, an intervention may be necessary at this point. And these are some of the steps that you could take to mitigate these concerns and, and some of the services that we, that we feel your family might need or some of the measures that you can take to, to, uh, to assure child safety. So that, that's the concept of, of the initial child safety conference. And obviously, you know, a lot of our involvement with a family flows from, from that point. And, and, and decisions made at that point will have a very very heavy influence on on the life of the case. Are you finding at that point that you're able to involve the family in terms of of planning and decision-making and kind of setting goals? Or is that just an initial kind of explaining the situation and and kind of stressing how important it is? It's intended to be a decision-making meeting, and it it takes place in real time where uh, the safety concerns are urgent. And, And so... Uh, it, it is very much a planning meeting with, with action steps following. And that was part of the rationale for um, involving parent advocates in, in these conferences. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, most parents would say it, it's good that you're extending an opportunity to discuss these concerns before taking some kind of coercive action. But if you put yourself in that parent's position, it's pretty terrifying. It's it's uh, you're you're being called into a room full of of child protection personnel and professionals, and basically being asked to explain why um, why why we shouldn't remove your children. Parents need support at that point in time. They they need somebody to help that guide them through that process to to orient them to their rights and responsibilities. And, and also to discuss their options with them. And that's, that's the role of the parent advocate. The parent advocates are there, uh, a large percentage of them have been the subject of the child protective investigation. So they have a, a, you know, a clear firsthand sense of how parents in that situation are feeling and what it takes to, to help them focus and, and participate productively in, in the conference process. 
Not all of our parent advocates have exactly that kind of experience, but all of them have some related experience. They, they may be um, survivors of domestic violence relationships. They, they, may be, um, they, they may be addicts in recovery. They may be parents who, who've raised children with, with special uh, behavioral and, and learning needs. And so they, they all have some basis on, on which to connect with, with parents who are facing similar challenges. The Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative is, um, is focused at first on, on the Initial Child Safety Conference, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's where the parent will first meet the parent advocate. But one of the enhancements is that the parent advocate will, will follow that family to a second conference called a follow-up conference, which usually takes place about 30 days after the initial and they'll do some work activities with them in the interim, about 10 hours worth of work activities in those first 30 days, a lot of which will have to do with helping the family make solid connections with whatever resources they were referred to as, as a result of the initial child safety conference. So what's so wonderful is pre, prior to EFTI, our parent advocates we're only able to support the family at the initial child safety conference. It was really one shot. Now we're able to have that parent advocate providing support to the family to follow up on their safety plan. And that can include things like visiting the home and talking with the family about the process of child safety conferencing. It can include walking families to their appointments at various service providers and sending them text messages and calls to make sure that they're continuing to follow through and achieve outcomes. It was really input from the parent advocates themselves that, that inspired the, the federal proposal for, for the Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative because they were pointing this out as, as a weakness in our model was, was that it was so one-shot and that parents were connecting with them, were calling them after the conferences and saying, could you accompany me to court? Could you accompany me to this or that appointment? Could you come with me to my follow-up conference? And the parent advocates were, were having to say, well, no, you know, we, we can't. We, we just uh, contractually and, and, and in terms of budget, we, we, um, we're not authorized and, and, and we're not reimbursed for, for doing that. But they saw it as a real missed opportunity for, for engagement. And so it was really based on, on their feedback that, that, uh, that we felt this, this would be a good direction in which to go, a good enhancement, which if, um, you know, our, our theory is that, that it will improve outcomes. And if we can document that, then... Uh, you know, that's very valuable information in, in, in terms of uh, how we carry this model forward into the future. Some of the value that we've seen in this approach is that the parent advocates can engage parents in the conference process in, in the most authentic way imaginable. I mean, they can look at another parent and say, look, I, I know how you feel. I know what you're going through. I've been there. I, I know that you're scared and, and you're angry and you're confused and you have a right to feel that way. I felt that way. And, and I wish that somebody had offered me the opportunity to, to talk these issues through earlier in the life of my case. You have that opportunity now and I'm here to help you. And, and it's very, um, 
it, it really helps to diffuse some of the tension that parents feel coming into these conferences. It really helps them to feel like they have somebody on their side and, and they're not just being outnumbered and, and railroaded and that uh, they can use the, the conference process productively, uh, guided by somebody who has the most relevant life experience possible. The parent advocates also have a real encyclopedic knowledge of local resources. They're all either from the communities in which they work or have some long-term intergenerational relationships to those communities. So they know the service providers, not just as providers themselves, but as consumers of services. They know who's responsive to referrals, who has a six-month waiting list. They know who to speak to and, and what to say. Uh, the, the example that, that I'm always using is uh, thinking of, of one conference. This was actually prior to, to EFCI where uh, the child protective team was, it, it was a drug exposed newborn and, and, and the child protective team was insisting that the only way to avoid removal would be for the, the mother and the infant to, to enter a mother-infant residential drug treatment program. Now, as you may know, um, those slots are really at a premium. There's, there's maybe 500 in the whole state of New York. It can be very difficult to, to leverage uh, one of those beds. But the parent advocate who happened to be at the table that day had been in one of these programs for 18 months. She had extended family-like relationships with program personnel. She knew exactly who to speak to and what to say, and, and she was able to negotiate a, a bed for, for that mother and child right, right from the conference table, uh, something many experienced professionals would not have been equipped to do. So that, that's, the, you know, that's the level of knowledge and skill that, that some of these parent advocates bring, bring to the table. How are the child protective teams working with their parent advocates? What kind of support is ACS providing those advocates? Well, the support comes through training and through we have uh, monthly implementation team meetings in which the parent advocates are active participants. They report in on, on their experiences and, and their feedback uh, shapes the model go, going forward. Their feedback is, is crucial because they're, you know, there are eyes and ears on, on the ground along with the, uh, the child protective specialists and, and the facilitators. They train together. And that was, um, that was also an idea that, that stemmed from conversations with parent advocates where they said, we, we'd like to train side by side with the child protective personnel who are going to be staffing these conferences, both that so that we'll have a shared understanding of conference protocol and something we can refer to during the course of the conference. If we feel that, that somebody is deviating from that protocol, we, we, we can point out citations in a training manual that we both used uh, prior to, to, uh, to doing this conference together and, and also uh, to build a sense of camaraderie with child protective personnel that uh, we're all working towards the same goals. We, we want to be able to say to the parents that, you know, look, we, we work with ACS. We don't work for ACS. We, we work for you. We work for the community. But we do work in, in partnership with, with ACS. We, uh, we do see it as our task to, to implement service plans that are agreed upon in, in these meetings and, and not, to, not to deviate from them. And if there's some, um, if there's some difficulty 
in implementing the service plan that was agreed upon, then we'll take that back to the child protective team and we'll say, you know, uh, this is the roadblock that we've hit with plan A, what, what, what's plan B? We, we don't go off and, and develop plan B by ourselves. We do it as part of a team. And in addition, our program team for the grant is also providing coaching to each of the parent advocates and coaching to them as a team on an ongoing manner so that they continue to learn new skills and hone the ones that they've developed in training. So talk to me about how long these folks, how do you sustain this? This is, you mentioned there's a ton of emotional support here. This is not an easy job. How are you guys able to sustain and maintain these groups, especially because of how valuable their experience is? So, um, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm I'm very happy to say there there's been no turnover in in um, in in this uh, cadre of, of parent advocates of the FCI parent advocates. There there was one who um, who gave birth during the initiative and and went on maternity leave and and was uh, at phone contact with clients during her maternity leave. But uh, but that's it. I mean, the the three of them. Uh, have really been with us from from the beginning, and and I get a pretty clear sense that barring anything unforeseen, they're they're uh, they're in it for the duration. Uh, it, it's uh, you know I've worked with parent advocates for for a long time, and there's just something about uh, the transformative power of of taking uh, you know one of the worst incidents in in your life and somehow parlaying it into a career and 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 where you're helping others in your community and and where uh, you're you're you know making something worthwhile out out of something that that you didn't want or expect but that happens and they find it uh, very fulfilling very healing very motivating and the I, I think you know the agency that we contract with uh, Center for Human Development and Family Services made some very astute choices. They, they identified uh, some, some very appropriate candidates for EFCI, and, and I think you know, their longevity bears that out. So now I want to bring in the parent advocates from CHDFS. So we have uh, Elliot Williams, Michelle Chapman, and Belinda Contreras. And, and Elliot, let me start with you and start with the training that you have to go through for EFCI. So g- give me a sense of what the types of trainings that, that are required for you and other parent advocates to participate in, in EFCI. Well, we do uh, multiple trainings at our home agency at CHDFS, dealing with crisis and um, what ACS considers to be uh, dangers versus risk. We also do a lot of trainings with ACS themselves on the same matters, equality and risk trainings, elevated risk trainings, things of that nature. And so, Michelle, how is that training different from the standard parent advocate training that, that you have to go through? Because it's more detail-orientated. Um, it's specific in terms of what we may consider risk and what ACS may consider risk, the differences. Um, it points out responsibility of each party. Um, it's, it's a little more detailed and specific to situations as well. It detailed how, you know, protocol for going in a client's home um, and recognizing, uh, like Elliot said, the difference between a risk and a, a, um, 
a concern. And Michelle, you're you're hitting on something that I wanted to, to talk about. So because you have to have this unique relationship with the families, I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Tell me about the types of relationships that parent advocates actually have with those families. Um, the relationship is more so almost like mentoring and um, supporting, supportive, um, like a support system, an extra support system for them. Because a lot of times they cannot get in touch with their ACS workers, so they'll call us. Um, if they, um, you know, need something, they'll call us. If they need advice, um, we're there for them. And being that we've all at some point um, had um, involved with, with ACS, we have a, a extra level of knowledge that can assist them to get through these things. Yeah, so it's, it's a mentoring and nurturing kind of um support system that we have with our clients. So across all these families, are there some areas that you're seeing common, you know, common across all the families? Do they have common questions for you or do you see common needs? Um, Common questions. You know, it varies parent, family to family. So it's kind of hard to say. I mean, everyone wants to know how long are we going to be involved with ACS? I guess that could be common. That's a common question um, that they would want to know. How long do we have to do this? Um, uh, Another common question may be, can we change our worker? You know, um, another common question might be, um, could you help me with um, securing a program? Something like that. So you're not only tapping on your own personal experiences, you know, in mentoring and sharing of those experiences, but there's also the assistance you have to provide to navigate this entire system, you know, working with ACS, you know, going through the court system and such. So, Belinda, I'd like to give listeners a sense of what other agencies should be looking for if they were thinking about bringing in parent advocates. Can you give me a sense of how your personal experience actually supports the work you do? Well, my background comes from mental health. I have a teenager um, with an um, ED, emotional disturbance, and working with the families, I can really understand um, what they're going through. So let me follow up on that. As this connects to something Michelle said, uh, you're part of this triangle, you know, the family, the parent advocates, and, and ACS. So where is that handoff between you and ACS to make sure that everything to help the family is happening and that nothing is being missed? Well, having a relationship with a CPS worker is very important and being open about helping the family and also being truthful with the parents. So talk to me about that team and how you guys actually work together. You know, Elliot, g give me a sense of how you're working with ACS to make sure that these cases move forward accordingly. Well, we usually just share of information with the worker as we run into each other. So I may be going to back and talk to the worker at her desk because I have information about something that the client is interested in doing, but CPS has to approve it. Or the client may have to um, go to a program, and I'll go with them that morning so then I can come back and inform the CPS worker that the client is actively engaged in said program and things of that nature. So it's, it's a continuous communication or dance between all three parties involved. And part of it is to keep the parent focused on the realism of things versus the expectation of things. Because sometimes the expectations they'll think, okay, the CPS worker said that I need to go to rehab. 
but I have 90 days before I have to go to rehab. And it's like, no, really, you have like a week. Let's get this done. You have to be the liaison for this, them, don't you, throughout the system and, and working with ACS. But you also have to continuously provide that reality check. Always. You, have, you always have to um, have a reality check. You have to check with the parent, always. So tell me about the challenges. Talk to me about those daily struggles and hurdles that you have to overcome every day to perform your job. The biggest challenge, I would say, with with some parents, because not all parents are able or willing to engage in terms of relationships. Um, some some parents just uh, they're overwhelmed, and a parent advocate is just one extra person that they just cannot afford. To, uh, give any more energy to. So, you know, one challenge is engaging some of our parents, and the next challenge would be engaging the workers and um, to come to a, a, a consensus about that particular client and the things that we need for that particular client. Um, looking for the worker, sometimes there are things uh, the client may disclose and we might need to find a worker. Sometimes reaching the worker is hard because they're very busy. They're overloaded with cases. They're in court all the time doing all kinds of visits. So, um, yeah, the challenge would be engaging some parents that don't want to be bothered as well as finding um, workers to uh, speak to about the case. Those two major challenges for me in terms of relationship. So with those challenges you have to overcome, What's the support that you are getting? How does CHDFS support the parent advocates? Oh, CHDFS provides tons and tons of support. Uh, Nancy and Hoster, even Julio, are completely accessible at any time, uh, day or night. They provide us with all of the necessities we need to uh, we do also every month. get the things done. We also have the briefings that we hold so that we can discuss things that are going on with cases and, and bounce ideas off of each other. So what does that support look like? I mean, can you give me an example? So if like, if I'm having an issue where say emotionally, I just, it's a lot going on with the case, I'm able to reach out and express that with uh, my superiors. Um, there's been times with cases that we've split the, they've been domestic violence cases and maybe the first person who's in the first half and in reality, the person may have done something really heinous, but they still deserve a parent advocate. So in turn, I may take the second half of the case or Michelle may take the second half of the case because if I feel that emotionally I'm not completely able to support this parent in its best in their best interest and the best way I know how, we'll, we'll piggyback off of each other. So guys, I, kn- I know it's early, but what are those participants? What are the families? What are the, the advocates? What are the, what are the agency staff telling you about how FC, EFCI is actually working? How's it, how, what are you hearing in terms of, uh, you know, a, kind of qu- a qualitative data or anecdotes? The initial feedback has been very positive from frontline staff. When we were first rolling it out and planning it, there, there was some resistance to the idea of the private family time, the caucusing. There, there were safety concerns about that. It was feared that it would lengthen the, the time needed for the conference, that it would interfere with other work activities. Some of the conferences are followed by court activity, and, and uh, people were afraid that, that uh, you know, they would be caught in a time crunch. And so, you know, that was that was some of the initial concerns. But as we uh, 
as as we rolled it out on the grounds, we we began to hear something very very different from from the frontline staff, and almost universally for the past year and 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 you know some odd months, they've been saying that they really like the private family time a lot because they feel as if um, they're not making decisions about families unilaterally. They're they're making decisions with families who have expert guidance from people who, who know about community resources. And, you know, and this is, you know, may sound like, like social work 101, uh, but it has been part of our learning curve is, is that families are, are much more likely to comply with service plans that are grounded in their own self-expressed needs that are not cookie cutter, just like, you know, take a parenting class, give clean urine for a year, uh, but that really address like issues that they identify in, in their lives as impacting child safety, be it um, improved housing, daycare, special education, uh, whatever whatever the case may be, compliance becomes less of an issue when you're operationalizing a plan that that the family played a large part in in creating. And and so I think uh, a lot of the frontline staff really appreciate that 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 we're not just um, you know, trying to force compliance with with measures that that families may or may not want, we're um, we're watching them effectuate plans that that they themselves have developed. Yeah, ownership uh, means everything, especially when it's truly relatable and customized. And you're dealing with a family that was key in customizing that plan. So, how do you evaluate this? What are those key metrics that you're looking for that will that you will use when you're measuring the effectiveness of of this grant and and, and ECFI in general or EFCI in general? Well, we're using um, we have two major uh, sources of data. One is our outcome data for families, of course. That's what um, you know what everybody wants to know. Do uh, our enhanced parent advocates and our family group decision making process lead to better outcomes for families? Are families staying together? Are they following through with services? Do they um, do we see repeat maltreatment rates dropping? Do we see repeat investigations dropping? Um, and those are things that really we won't know until the end of our three-year grant. Um, but we're also we're also we've just implemented our first general staff survey, which is really a more qualitative measure of how our initiative is going. So those are more questions about, you know, how did you enjoy working with the parent advocate? Was the parent advocate able to help you? Um, from the staff's perspective, uh, what did caucusing and allowing the family to be more involved in the service plan do? Um, did you change your mind about what you thought the outcome of the conference would be based on the family and the parent advocate's participation? So we're really looking right now at those more qualitative measures of the impact of our program. If you could go back, go back about three years or really even even earlier when all of this really kind of got off the ground, what would be the advice you would give yourself then? What would be the things you would do differently or what would be the things you would make sure got done? Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing was, you know, we didn't want to involve folks on the ground too heavily in the planning because we weren't sure if we would get a grant. Um, so I think we had to end up doing a lot of trust building and co-design work in the beginning that slowed down the implementation a little bit. And if I could go back, I think um, allowing the our frontline staff and their leadership in our local office 
to drive the design of the model and their involvement a little bit more in the very beginning as we were crafting what the project was going to look like that we were proposing. I think that that would have really helped us to get a head start on the implementation. Best case scenario, sky's the limit. What else is on the horizon for what the next day or the next phase would look like if you had your druthers? You know, getting way ahead of myself, but if, <laughs> uh, if I had my druthers, the evaluation documents the improved outcomes generated as a result of this model, documents the cost effectiveness, the positive qualitative feedback. And this becomes the model for, for parent advocate participation in, in family team conferencing citywide. It's no longer an enhancement. It's, it's a baseline model that we, do, that we way, further enhance in, in the out years. The way you guys have described it and what we're hearing, it, it sounds like you guys are creating, at least at the initial stages, a, a great case for that. Thank you guys so much for your time. I thank you guys for being a part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you for your interest. Really appreciate it. A couple of things about the parent advocates with EFCI. While most of ACS's parent advocates who provide services at those initial child safety conferences are per diem contract staff, Michelle, Belinda, and Elliot are full-time employees, so they're able to have much greater connection to the CPS teams that they work with and provide continuous support to the families. And they're also the original three parent advocates for ECFI, so there's been no turnover of staff. And also, uh, for the first year and a half of EFCI, from what Jessica told us after we recorded, the parent advocates were part of about 100 family meetings, so they are definitely putting in full-time hours. Now, we're seeing family group decision-making being implemented in so many ways. So for another example, I encourage you to check out another podcast we did. Hearing how another Children's Bureau grantee in Arizona uses the family conferencing model developed by the Camp Center. Now, if you visit this podcast's webpage at acf.hhs.gov/cb, just search podcasts, we'll point you to some more examples of family group decision making we've got for you over on Child Welfare Information Gateway. I really appreciate the folks from New York City's Administration for Children's Services and the folks from the Center for Human Development and Family Services. They couldn't have been more accommodating in bringing everyone together. So my thanks to Michael Ashram, Jesse Rothschild, Belinda Contreras, Michelle Chapman, and Elliot Williams for all their time and energy to share with us what they're doing with the Enhanced Family Conferencing Initiative. So please check out childwelfare.gov for additional information to support your work in child welfare, whether you're looking for services and information to share with families, tools and best practices to share with your colleagues or staff, or to learn what other states and agencies are up to. Check out Child Welfare Information Gateway. And thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.